Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide, you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. I immediately like had flashbacks of myself falling up the stairs in front of a cute boy in the seventh grade. <laughs> How are you doing? Congrats on the movie. Thank you. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. I can't can't argue with hanging out at home, talking to cool people like you with my cat here. It's, it's just great. Yeah, it's a it's new for me. Like all of this, because I'm like I'm everything. I'm grips and electric and. Like, I have to plug in everything. I have to make sure that the lighting is right. I have to make sure my bra is not showing. So it's a lot of pressure. And my cats are here with me. I just adopted a second cat literally a week ago today. And sometimes two cats feels like seven. So oh, I am well aware yeah. of this. So it's it's Aaron and... The new guy is Jarrell. Jarrell Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> so on Ladies Night, we go back to the very, very beginning and talk about some early inspiration. So I'm curious, before you even got into making movies when you were very young, was it just about watching television and film for pure entertainment? Or did you always feel that itch and passion to create? No, I. it was always about entertainment. It was about, you know, not being bored, especially because like, you know, I was a, I'm from Brooklyn. I was like a little black round girl from Brooklyn. And so there wasn't a lot of myself on TV. And so maybe I was looking for myself in places, but it was mostly, you know, just, it was my after school special, but like, it was my after school activity watching TV. Do you have a, a favorite movie or a favorite performance that you saw early on that did kind of, you know, make it all click for you that you wanted to do that? Not really. I didn't want to be an actress until like the literal day before I became an actress. 
<laughs> it's a I was very surprised I was like supposed to be a doctor or something dumb but uh I now but I used to be re, I used to love this is really stupid because I was maybe six or five when this film came out but I used to be obsessed with my left foot Daniel Day-Lewis masterpiece and, and in the film he's Chrissy who was born mostly I think I think he had cerebral palsy and he could only move his left foot and as he got older he became an artist and an alcoholic again with only the use of his left foot and I just thought that's fantastic <laughs> look at look at God. You can do anything. Anything is possible. You can become a belligerent, violent drunk with just your toes and your ankle. Masterpiece. That is not the movie that I thought you were going to name, especially thinking about <laughs> being such a young age, but you actually make a good point with that. <laughs> yeah, that movie teaches you at a very young age to reach for the stars. Anything is possible. It's just, It's hopeful. It makes me feel warm. You know, I love that movie. Watch it all the time. I need to revisit it now. It's been way too long yeah. since I've seen it. So the first big one for you, of course, was Precious, completely new to the industry. So I'm sure there's many answers to this question, but what would you say is kind of the biggest thing that when you got on that set made you go, huh, like I never realized they did that part of the filmmaking process that way. The thing that shocked me the most, that you have to do more than one take of one scene and of one camera angle and then when you do that you have to remember like like the choreography of the scene like if I'm holding a glass in the right hand the next time we do it I can't just move it over here like no somebody's gonna come and correct I was like really this is a thing but yeah that's someone's whole job uh so it's that was the most shocking thing. I'm like, oh, there's everything is thought about. You need to know what time it is in this world, even though it's never mentioned. Filmmaking is um, it's like dancing in some ways. Continuity, I feel like, does not get the respect it deserves. The thing that always catches my eye is when someone's like, I don't know, drinking something and you see the glass level go up and down and up and down the entire scene. Yeah, I never not noticed it. I never not notice it anymore. That in ADR. I can always, like, when you have to, like, re, re-record something or they change the word or a sentence and you have to do, like, and when people, you know, people are saying things, but, like, the camera's on the other person, I'm like, that's ADR. I know what this is. Like, I know, I, I, I always hear it now that I've done it. So now, now that you have an ear for it, ha- are you good at ADR? Because that really, that also is a very undervalued skill. I have gotten better at it. I was pretty bad at it the first few times. And like like Mariah Carey and Lenny Kravitz are in that are in precious. And I was doing so terribly in the studio once. And the director was like, Lenny and Mariah could do it. And I realized I was like, oh, because they're singers. And so there's got there's I have to I have to figure out how this is a song in my brain so that I can remember it. Now I'm much better at it, but also I screw myself quite a bit because I ad lib a lot too much, honestly. And I'm always saying things that I shouldn't be saying, but then the studio will decide to keep that thing that I said uh, and then make me say it louder in, in ADR. Cause I, I mumbled it because I didn't want anyone to hear me. And they're like, if you don't want it in the, if you don't want it in the show, don't say it. 
I feel like giving, given the ad-libbing I've seen you do, I feel like you're making your work harder for yourself, but for a good reason. So that's, that's a solid thing right there. Yeah, no, I need to learn to not, but yeah, I mean, it works. They let me do it. It works very well. So back to being on the set of Precious, is there anything about, I don't know, the atmosphere on that set or the way it was run that now when you look back on that experience, it makes you think, I am so thankful that I had my first big film experience on that set with those people. Yeah, it was, uh, it was my first time ever being on a set. And so I didn't know what to expect. And I also didn't know what was weird. And I didn't know what was wrong. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, and so I got to learn quite a bit, but it was, there are parts that were sort of like guerrilla filmmaking. Like, there's a scene on the train where she just left her house after having the baby, and she's on the train with her baby having been beaten up. So we filmed that in August. We had shot the rest of the film the last year like we started shooting in like September or so and so it was so it was so uh, I mean like it was so far down the line I my my skin color had changed my weight had changed like there's if you watch the movie all of a sudden I'm like 60 pounds lighter for no reason but I only mention it because uh we didn't have any permits to shoot on that on that train and nobody knew that everybody else, other people on the train are just people on the train. Like they're, they're not extras. And I'm holding a bloody toy, like a bloody doll in a bloody blanket. And my, I'm bloody. And I remember everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. And, I, and we're also, there's a, you know, there's a small camera crew and I'm there to do it. Like I'm good with it. For whatever reason, the director starts freaking out, thinking that he's going to be arrested for doing this, hops off the train at the last minute, last second, millisecond, and now it's me alone with a bloody blanket and a camera. And it was the, and like, and people were like, is the, I remember this Jamaican woman was sitting across from me and she goes, is the baby okay? And I was like, no, it's fake. She's like, but is the baby okay? And it'd be like, look, it's a, it's a, it's not real. Like, I had to like hit it. It was, and I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have to do that ever again. But I also am ready to do that at any time because uh, filmmaking is visceral. It's animalistic. It doesn't have to be, but sometimes it is. And I kind of like it. Yeah. I would be so curious to know if the people on that train wound up seeing the movie and just what they thought when they realized what you were actually doing there. <laughs> I assume they have. <laughs> like, they must have by now. Somebody. It was a lot. It was a full train, too. Like, it was a full train. It was It was full. So. You gotta do what you gotta do, especially when you're shooting in New York like that. There are a lot of rules that take a very long time to learn, and not that I'm condoning this, but sometimes you gotta just do what you gotta do to get your stuff done. Yeah, we're... Filmmakers are faster than the city, and that's okay. Like, as long as... You know, get in and get out and don't get arrested. So speaking of jumping into Precious, just completely fresh, never having had the experience. Now you've had a lot of experience and I'm sure you've crossed paths with other actors who have like backgrounds and formal trainings and techniques. Did working with them give you the itch to learn any of those techniques or are you fully embracing, you know, your own experience and crafting it your own way? Working with actors that are trained 
head to toe and know exactly what they're doing is so intimidating because I like I I never I've never taken an acting class like Precious was my first audition and it just happened I was I auditioned on Monday it was hired that Wednesday there was no time and it's (laughs) it's really really scary sometimes when I'm on set with like a you know like a Angela Bassett or uh, Kathy Bates and Sarah Paulson and it's scary because I know how long they've been working on their craft and how seriously they've been working on their craft. And sometimes they get really, really scared and intimidated. Once I said to Kathy Bates, I said, I, I, cause I, I was like, my nerves still eat me and my nerves, like, you know, I still have anxiety. And once I have anxiety, now I have the yips and I can't perform because I'm freaked out. And this has happened to me quite a few times. And it's regrettable. (laughs) However, I once said to Kathy, she and I went to dinner at Kathy Bates and I said, I I really feel like I need to do something. I need to, I should do something. And she's like, nope. She's like, don't do that. She's like, what you have is natural. What you have, you cannot learn. You're going to learn some things that will unteach what you already have. And so it's so scary to not have the, the, the safety net of technique but I also really, really need to believe in myself and have confidence in my work. Because if I don't, it shows up on screen. You have your own technique and it works. And I hope you continue to embrace it. Speaking of just like those nerves. So obviously Precious does very, very well on the award circuit. Would you say that things started to come your way immediately after that? Or was there any kind of I don't know, like a residual effect of people saying like, like, oh, like that was a stroke of luck. It was her first film. It all came together. Or was the the train kind of like leaving the station off and running? No, I remember when I got nominated for an Oscar, like they had me at like, it was the Today Show or Good Morning America, one of the, one of them. And they had, they like hid me backstage to be like, and when you're nominated, like while they're reading the nominations, and when you're nominated, you go out. And I was like, but what if I don't guys? And they're like, uh, then we won't do it, but you're here in case. And so, but the, I guess the host did not know that I was there. So I was nominated and then they send me out but and when I got home, I still lived with a roommate at the time. When I got home, my roommate had watched it and he was like, so did you hear what they were saying right before you came out? And I was like, no. He was like, yeah, they were like, ah, in Gabourey City Bay, the dark horse of the race. And I was like, oh, and then I came and he's like, and then you come out <laughs> like you had not heard that. And they were already talking about how you're definitely going to lose and you're a dark horse. <laughs> and so it's, uh, yeah, I've heard the idea that I'm just lucky. Um, before I've heard that. And uh, I'm an extremely unlucky person, actually. I'm very, very unlucky in a lot of ways. I work really, really hard, though. I work really, really hard. And no, the the Hollywood seas did not part for me in the same way that it might have for maybe Anna Kendrick, who was nominated for the first time that year as well. Uh, who then went on to star in films and, you know, starting television and the whole thing. The seeds did not part that same way for me. And I assume that there are a few factors that uh, made that so, but I am still working 
10 years later, I'm still working 12 years after having filmed it. I, I have agency. I am comfortable with who I am. I know my voice. I know, I know what I want to say to the world. I want, I know what I want to give to the world and what I want to give to myself. I know my artistry. And so, you know, starring things or being on the covers of magazines or like, you know, like all of these things that say that I've made it, everything that solidifies my position on the A-list, whatever that means, doesn't actually mean anything to my, my self-worth and my sense of artistry. Does that make sense? Yeah. My my heart is going to burst hearing you say all of that about yourself and for for the record, like whether whether you don't need all of that stuff to validate you or not, like you deserve all of that because I've I've been keeping up with pretty much all of your work since and you have made a very very big impression and one of the things that always kind of like catches my ear or eye, and actually Bush and Wren said this to me the other day, is that you are basically sunshine personified. So I want to know, I want to know your secrets. That's not the first time I've heard that. What is the key for you to having such a great attitude all the time? I was just really tired of having a shitty attitude. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I, I, you know, if when negativity hits, uh, when I'm drowning in it, uh, I get so tired that I just, I pop out of it whichever way I need to. Uh, therapy helps. However, <laughs> therapy really, really, really helps. I'm so grateful for therapy, but I also just, I, I understand my, I understand my role in this universe. I understand, you know, my role in my family, my role in my relationships, my role on any set, in any script. I understand why I'm here. And I just, I just try to live through that because that feels better than not knowing my purpose. That feels better than than thinking I suck. That feels better than than hating myself. It simply feels better. You know, so that's what I, although my mom, my mom was a singer for the bulk of her life and mine. And my mom used to tell people that she was in the joy business. And I I was just reminded of that like the other day. And I thought, I remember she used to say it and I used to be like, okay, mom, because I'm a shitty teenager. (laughs) But hearing, like, remembering that that's what my mom says, you know, about her gift and her talent and her voice, I'm reminded to say, oh, that's me too. Like, that's, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I do. That's what I am. I'm in the joy business. And honestly, the person who benefits from whatever ball of sunshine or light or joy I exude is me. If it didn't do anything for me, I wouldn't do it. It's selfish. (laughs) That joy goes to you. But I also imagine when you're in a high pressure situation, like making a show or a movie, the folks around you are lucky to have that. So how do you bring that sense of joy to a set where, you know, maybe there's a slightly more negative energy to it? Yeah, <laughs> I I just, I know what my table is and what's not my table. And so like, I, I just don't need other people to have a good time for me to have a good time. I really, you know, joy is kind of infectious. It's infectious. 
And so is negativity. Like it just is. And so if I ever bump into negativity, especially on like antebellum, but I got, I think we shot for seven weeks total. They had been shooting for five weeks before I got there. And that five weeks was like, you know, it was the plantation stuff. It was like swampy things. And it was, it was the harder part of the film. So I knew that I was, it's not that I necessarily was bringing the party, but I knew this is when everyone's going to be more comfortable. And so I'm just going to slide right in. We're in New Orleans. <laughs> you know, it's a good time. I'm like, my position is to be the joy. And I also know the film is so, uh, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. It beats you right in the face the entire time until my character shows up. And I know what the purpose is. The purpose is levity. And so I try to, I know that that's my role. And so I do it. I feel like you make such a big impression with a supporting character in Antebellum. And I've seen you do that more than once. So what is your approach to playing a supporting character where, you know, you support the main narrative however you need, but also you make your character feel like a full person? Because I see you do that time and time again. I just don't consider that I'm a side character. <laughs> just don't do, like you can't and like I can and I am, you know, but I just don't because I don't because that's going to translate on screen. And if I tra- like if whatever my role is, however big or small, I'm the star of my role. I'm the star of that character. And so, but also like, you know, being the star doesn't like super mean anything to me in a way. Sometimes, eh, maybe so, eh, maybe ego, whatever. Anyway, I'm the star <laughs> of, that, of that character. That character has all the agency and is deserving of attention and love the same way number one is, the star is. Like this person's also a valid person. Like I'm also a valid person. Um, also, I usually find someone in my life or find someone in my history um, that I know personally that, uh, the character reminds me of. And so when I tie it to someone who I have actual like love and care for, then that makes me care for that character more. I'm skipping ahead a little here, but briefly for Antebellum, who is that person that connects to Dawn for you? <laughs> so she's my, <laughs> she's my friend, Chelsea. My friend, Chelsea, who is, Chelsea is, I think she's 6'1". She's gorgeous. And she is so smart and she is so intimidating. And I watch her intimidate men over and over and over again. And I just love her sense of agency. And I just think she's so great. And so when I met with um, Gerard and Chris, when we were leaving, they, they said, you know, this is just a template. Like Dawn, you know, we wrote her, but you're, you're allowed to bring life into her and you can do whatever you, you know, what you see fit. And you could really tie this to someone. And I was like, no, yeah, the someone is Chelsea. So I got it. (laughs) I got it. This is my friend Chelsea. There is no way I cannot ask you about American Horror Story. Because I am a huge, huge fan of that series. So I know what happens in Apocalypse. But what was your initial reaction to finding out when you were going to get the opportunity to bring Queenie back for Hotel? That she was not going to make it through because I'll be honest with you uh, it it upset me I got her back and then she was gone and I didn't know what was going to happen down the line so I was pissed 
death doesn't really mean anything over at American Horror Story. Like I'm really, really close to one of the one of the head writers, John Gray. And so sometimes he, oh, this is, yeah, that's what he did. So they were discussing bringing back a character from Kevin. And John was like, can we bring back Gabby? Because I want to go to dinner with her. <laughs> Literally, that's what, he wanted to go to dinner with me. And so, because I was in Chicago at the time. And so flew me back into LA. He's like, well, just tell her. Well, you know, it'll be a death scene. And that's what we did so that we can go to dinner. And I knew I was fine with it. I knew that like my, I genuinely still have socks and underwear that's still bloody from, from that. Uh, I do, I should throw them away. However, uh, death doesn't really mean anything in the American horror story uh, universe. I think I've been killed six times. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. And you think I would have learned that lesson after four seasons, but You're no. I was yeah. still pretty sensitive about it. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. It's really fun. Like, death scenes are really, really, really fun in American Horror Story, too, because you, one, everyone is killed so intricately and beautifully, sometimes poetically. You know, everyone's death is quite poetic and usually ties into something else. And, you know, everything is very cyclical in that uh, universe. And also, you know, I get to learn how they, you know, like they have to build an extra hand on my hand to stab. They built an extra neck and then there's a thing on the neck and then a pipe that goes down and a foot pump for the blood. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's half being shot in the stomach. All of the things that I do not want to happen to me ever, but happening to me in a really safe space. So it's fun. Would you return to American Horror Story as a performer to act in it? But also, I don't know where you're at with directing, but would you have any interest in directing an episode? Because I think one of my favorite episodes of Apocalypse was the one that Sarah directed. Sarah did? Yeah, Sarah's episode was really, really, really good. Really good. <laughs> that was a good episode. I, I was shooting with her when she started uh, prep for it. Yeah, I would absolutely direct an episode of American Horror Story. It... it there's so much room to play. There's so much room to learn. I'm still a, you know, I'm a very young director. And so I'm still learning. And I think that the lessons that I would get from American Horror Story are just so valuable. Yeah, I would absolutely direct it. And also I would be on the show again as a performer. I, I'm rooting for that to happen. Speaking of being a young director honing your craft, what did you learn from your experience working with Bush and Renz that you're going to take with you? They are true artists. They really are. Before I met them, I read the script. On page two, I realized that I was fully engaged already because the way they, they the, the script was written like a novel, like the imagery, and there were no, no characters yet, no, no dialogue no people at all, but it was the way they were writing about the trees and the color of the leaves and the wind through the grass. It, I was like, oh, this movie's gonna be beautiful because I could see how careful they were, how careful and respectful they were. And I just, they're incredible writers. And then being on set with them, because I, I, I was like, oh, are they, how are they going to direct at the same time? Like, how do they do this? Like, you know, suddenly, like, certainly they'll have differing opinions um, and differing notes and things like that. But they are a team. They are so cohesive. They're like a grilled cheese sandwich. We're like, yeah, there's bread and there's cheese. But once it's made there, it's one thing. It's one entity. And it's not going to be pulled apart easily. 
that's a weird comparison, but I stand by it. Grilled <laughs> cheese comparison is my kind of comparison. Yeah, it's good. I just made it up, so. <laughs> but they are, they're so cohesive. They're so together and genius and, and, and problem solving. There's nothing that they can't figure out. There's nothing that they can't fight their way through. It's really beautiful to watch as not only an artist, but also as a filmmaker. I, I'm in awe of them. Like the one scene I'm in where the, uh, when we're at the restaurant, the table and the, the camera was going around us on a track over and over and over again. And it, you know, we, we filmed it so many times that like, we're going to be, the angles are constantly going to change. And I was like, this is going to be great. God, they're going to have so much to cut from. It's re- And it's such a beautiful scene. It's such a beautiful scene. Just the way that they shoot things. And I was like, I could, I already cannot wait to see the rest of the film. Because I was so late. I was like, I cannot wait to see everything. That was hands down one of my favorite scenes in the film. And all, the way that they frame all the shots in that is yeah. like, million times more effective than I think anyone would think just like sitting back and watching the scene it's it was a very smart choice what they did there I love the chemistry between the three of you and that stuff too but first first Janelle they were telling me that you knew Janelle before so did she have anything to do with getting you involved in this I guess yeah, I think there are a lot of different stories about how I got involved, but here's my story. I actually was on a panel with Janelle's, one of Janelle's managers, Mikhail, and he starts telling me about this script and he goes through the whole thing and like, and this happens and then blah, blah, blah. And then, and then the phone rings and, you know, he says all of these things. And I was like, that sounds dope. I cannot wait to watch that film. I did not think about being a part of it at all until uh, until Mikhail emailed me, I think, two days later. And he was like, there might be a role for you in this. Like, would you read it? Do you want to read it? And I was like, sure, that would be great. And I read it and fell in love with it. And uh, that's kind of how I got involved <laughs> with it. But also, yeah, Janelle and I are friends. And we, you know, we... Uh, we've been to the same parties and, you know, we've had dinner, you know, with each other and uh, we've talked quite a bit. And also this is like a, just a weird fun fact. Janelle Monet is playing my aunt in a movie. So she's not, it's not like in a way that like I'm in the movie and I'm her niece. No, my aunt is Dorothy Pittman Hughes, who was, who was a, not only a civil rights uh, leader, but also she fought for women's rights and, you know, she's kind of like a, suffragette but cooler (laughs) and she toured and was best friends with Gloria Steinem so in the Gloria Steinem film my aunt is actually a character and so Janelle called me up and was like do you think I could talk to your aunt and so I had to facilitate a call between her and my cousins and my aunt you know (laughs) like and it was it was it was like it's an interesting way that we're now family I love that so, so much. And I'm just also like endlessly impressed by her work, even though you guys knew each other before and you were friendly. What was it about just, I don't know, her work ethic and the way she carried herself on set that, I don't know, maybe surprised and impressed you? Like, she's so cool. Like, like she's just effortlessly cool. And it's in every, it's like in the way she points and it's in her ankles as she walks it's the way she's her posture 
her <laughs> facial structure, everything about her is so cool and seems really meticulous, but it's not. She, I think she just like oozes cool. Like meanwhile, every time I'm next to her watching her be really, really, really cool and calm and collected, I immediately like have flashbacks of myself falling up the stairs in front of a cute boy in the seventh grade. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, she is the very opposite of, She's the very opposite of asking a boy you like to be your Valentine and him being like, ill. She's the opposite of that. Like that's like she's so cool. And it's it's she's it's, she's she's unshakable. And it's it's really, really it's interesting to watch. Like, like she's almost like a stallion in a way, just like almost like a show horse, like very, very just dainty working her way through. Like, you know, like working her way through with her head held really, really high, very proud. It's really, really beautiful to watch her. It's beautiful to watch her. It really is. It's someone who didn't always know, uh, didn't always have um, maybe confidence or self-worth, uh, albeit a long time ago. Someone who didn't have that, I can't imagine that she's never had that. I feel like you can see that radiating off the screen and a lot of stuff she's in, but I've had the pleasure of crossing paths in like a junket interview before. And even in those teeny tiny time slots, like the fact that you could still feel that it just speaks to how powerful it is. Yeah. She's like, it's, it's, she, she, she's like a rock. She's like, she's like a statue. There's something about this. She's so sure. And, and she's so sure, has no questions. She knows exactly who she is. And I love that you don't you don't run across that uh, in many people, especially women, especially Black women. We don't always get to see that. And so she is, she's really, really beautiful to watch and really beautiful to aspire to. So I want to kind of put up the spoiler warning here because I want to let you answer these questions freely without worrying. So- okay. The first one I have for you is, you've already brought this up, you are in a section of the movie, and I'm sure you read the whole script, but what was it like (laughs) watching the whole thing through for the very first time? Was there anything that, I don't know, exceeded your expectations? Yeah, so watching the film all the way through, uh, yeah, they had me come, I was actually in... I was in LA editing my, I, I directed an episode of Empire and I was here to edit. And I uh, I had literally four hours before I had to get back on the plane and go back to Chicago. And they were like, please, can we steal you so you can watch the, mo- the movie? And I was fully in it. I basically watched it with like my elbows and my knees. Like I was like that far in it and forgot that I was in it ever forgot like it was a completely different because I also never saw that part of the film because I wasn't there but also I just uh forgot that I was involved it was such such a thrilling beautifully shot masterpiece it was exactly what I had read in the script and then and then when the phone rings I'm like oh right I'm in this it truly feels like a completely separate movie which is the point and then I'm on screen it's like oh right yes I remember this I'm here for this got it that's why I'm watching this 
I'm in this, cool. And then I'm just like, now that I remember the rest, I'm holding on and just wanting to stay here for so long, wanting to stay in the Don and the Sarah and the husband and the, and the Kennedy. I wanted to stay there. I really, really wanted to stay there as long as possible, but then we get in that car. And I and I was there when we shot that scene, but I get, didn't get to see any of it. And it's it's so crazy and chaotic, and it's so it broke my heart watching her be like, you know, truly kidnapped, fighting for her life, banging on the window, and Don and Sarah are like, like you know, we're having the best time. We're drunk. We're flirting with the driver. We're, ha- we're living our best life and right in the next lane, she is having everything, including us, including this best life taken away from her. She's being stolen. It's, she's being stolen from this life. It is heartbreaking. I did not want to go back, but then we were right back. We were right back there. And again, it just felt like a, it kind of felt like a third movie. Like the second, the second half after, it felt like, you know, Don, I get to be, I'm halftime, you know, I'm halftime at the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, like this, that's kind of what it feels like, because like, it's the, you don't realize that you've been holding your breath from the very beginning. You don't realize it until you get to see Don and Sarah and the husband, and you get to see her, her actual, Eden, that Eden is actually V, she's Veronica. And this is her actual world, this is her actual universe. And this is the society she's going to be stolen from. You don't know that you're holding your breath until you see it. It's, it's <laughs> you th- you would think that I've seen it a couple times now. And you have would, you? You would think it would be easier, like the next time around. But it it just gets harder because I feel like the the good in her life that she's losing sinks in yeah. so much more. And I don't know, especially watching it the second time, I think knowing where all the beats were coming made it even more painful to re-experience. <laughs> and also this came from a dream. It's just, yeah. it's just kind of ridiculous. It's just, it's so, it's, it's, it's a gift like it just feels like it's a gift it's a kiss from the ancestors a kiss from heaven it's a kiss from our past selves uh it's a warning to not to if we don't tell this story if we don't make sure this doesn't happen this will happen again and I also like after filming and watching I was like I wonder if I was like the thing is like antebellum could be real like there could be this could be real people are stolen all the time this could be happening and we just don't know yet. I'm scared of everything now. So, so. Yeah, I feel like they made the brilliant decision to end the movie the way they did. I, I was talking yeah. about this the other day with someone, just the idea of like stopping it right there versus continuing on and letting us see how the world reacts. There's something about that that just, it, it plants the seed in your head and it doesn't give you anything to like help it grow like you are forced to process everything on your own and I feel like that keeps it on your mind way longer than if they'd given us more yeah because you have to imagine the scenarios that come after the credits roll like you have to imagine you have to put the story together yourself and if you put the story together yourself here maybe you can continue to craft that story in life you know, like maybe like, cause, because look, obviously these are, um, these are interesting times in a lot of different ways. And the issue of race in America has come to a crescendo uh, in a way that 
more people, white people are aware of it and also aware of their power to be helpful to it. Uh, and I think it's like this more than it's ever been before. Um, and what we need, we cannot, we can't, we can't have racial, we can't have racial justice. We can't have, um, we can't find an answer to this on our own. Like when I say Black Lives Matter, when we say Black Lives Matter, we need white people to agree and to move forward in that spirit. And that's what the, the ending is so that you can figure out how to get help and how to do this on your own. Because it's, it's not as bad as antebellum, it's not. It's not as bad as antebellum yet, but it brings the fear of being stolen to the forefront of everyone's mind, just not just black people, like slavery's for black people, you know, <laughs> racism, oh, that's, for, that's for black people. That's not true. Everywhere, this is in, this is our country, all of us. So if, if one gigantic group and set of people are literally dying in the streets with their hands in the air, and literally being like, breaking up and fight and now you're shot in the back seven times and you might be paralyzed for the rest of your life. If a group of, like if you're, if that was your home, if you're in a house of 10 people and five of those people were constantly in danger this way, would you not be outraged? Would you not do something about it? And that's what we need. We, we really, really hope that antebellum is a battle cry and that everybody is activated by this. I'm only one person, but I feel it. And one of the exciting things to me about this movie coming out digitally and not theatrically is that I am in lockdown with my family. And now all of a sudden I can have this conversation with multiple generations. So the fact that we can continue to have that conversation together, I think is a uh, a big plus to the way this movie is being released. And I can't congratulate you enough on this on your whole filmography and your sunny disposition, which which is truly infectious. Following you on Instagram is an absolute joy. The more pictures of your cats in this world, the better. That little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's, that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning.
And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba da ba ba ba.